Welcome to Out of the Fog, where critical perspectives on adoption are brought to the forefront. I'm Kasai, and I was adopted from Ethiopia. And I'm Pascal, and I'm a filmmaker. We're broadcasting from Montreal on CKUT 90.3 FM, and this is our first show. <laughs> You might remember this clip from Upworthy that went viral on Facebook. This is Sharon Pine. I'm an adoptee, and I'm supposed to be grateful about that, but it's just not that simple. As an adoptee, I'm the only person in the world I know I'm related to. I don't have a birth date. My name has been changed. I lack the culture, the family, the religion, the language that I was born into. I'm more likely to commit suicide. I'm more likely, as an adoptee, to suffer from a substance use disorder or abuse drugs and alcohol. I'm more likely to self-harm, and we're not allowed to talk about it, which compounds the trauma, the trauma of being relinquished and the trauma of being an adoptee. When I first saw this video online, I remember how much noise it got on social media. Every adoptee I knew shared this. How How did you relate? Oh, I can definitely relate to the video. I mean, just last week, I was at the doctor's, and adoption came up. And my doctor told me that I'm lucky uh, to be here and not in Ethiopia. And I just looked at him, smiled, took a deep breath, and said, adoption's more complicated than that. And the thing is, when we're told that we're lucky, uh, it implies that we should be grateful. It's interesting that you say that because I think that the idea of gratefulness also appears in the experience of second-generation immigrants. My parents came during the American War in Vietnam in 1975, and so they had to learn French, English, go to school, go to work, and at the same time, their parents had to go to university again just to get the qualifications. And so they grew up in poverty when they came in Montreal. So they spent all of their life working towards getting to that goal of being emancipated financially. And so this put a lot of pressure on me. I felt all my life that I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, you know, there's this stereotype that Vietnamese people are all pharmacists. And it comes from there. We feel that we have to be grateful. And we have to give back to our families by becoming someone for them. Do you feel pressured into doing or being in a certain way? I mean, we love our parents, but there's this pressure, I think, to love them. And, you know, love between an adoptive parent and an adoptee, it's, it's, not, it's not just natural because we don't come from them. It's something that has to be nurtured. The reason why this Upworthy video resonated with so many adoptees was because many of us in our society believe that adoptees are lucky to be part of a new family, and we don't acknowledge all the pain that comes with that. We checked in with Sharon to know how some people reacted to her video. The the post was definitely a little window into how unwelcome my opinion is. <laughs> and how did that look like? What, what were the com- comments generally? Um, you know, just that I should be grateful, that 
um, I could have been aborted, that I could have grown up in a slum, um, that, I mean, the, just the same things that we're always, we're always either hearing or afraid of having to hear because they're, they're kind of, you know, false equivalents. Poverty does not mean unhappiness because just because you're rich doesn't mean you're happy. <laughs> um, and, of course, I've been afforded more experiences you know, growing up in this country and and having the parents that I had. But that shouldn't be and can't ever be a substitute for, you know, knowing your history and your roots and your story. So I've heard this statistic led by the Minnesota University saying, and you probably know, adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide. You talked about suicide, self-harm, and substance abuse related to adoption, but we didn't really get into... Why is that so common? I mean, most of those things, self-harm and uh, substance use, are ways to escape pain. So I think most adoptees are just trying to escape the pain. And where, um, does, that, where, where does that pain come from? Um, I think it it's comes from the trauma of relinquishment and then the denial of the trauma which come, you know, compounds the trauma. Um, if nobody thinks that this thing that you're going through is something that you should be sad about, then it's like, it's impossible kind of to live with that, that denial. Besides the denial of their experience, adoptees are sometimes isolated from other adoptees or people who look like them. And, you know, it's hard to find other adoptees when you don't know how they're supposed to look like. They're kind of an invisible population in our society. And for some interracial adoptees, they were sometimes shipped to rural areas where there was no people of color apart from them. Kasai, did you, did you feel isolated when you grew up? I, I, f I felt it in many ways. I mean, I, I, mean I, I knew that I was black, but it's interesting because I f um, felt it more when I was in the, like, the nearest town. Uh, like every Thursday, we would do grocery. We would go do grocery. Oh shopping. my God, the staring! The exactly. Staring. Yeah. The, exactly. But the, <laughs> yeah, those staring. But it. Yeah, totally. But it's also like I would see black people. Like, I mean, there was oh. like a few. Yeah, I, there was a few African immigrants, and I would just like stare at them, like really stare. You know, it was like <laughs> that. My like, hello, you, I yeah, love you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like I, you know, I was small. I do that now, yeah. by the way. Yeah, I know. Well, I still, <laughs> when I'm in Maine. Yeah, I I still do that. Like, you know, whenever. Yeah, no, it was funny though because I was just like very small and I was sitting like in the in the in the cart in the shopping cart, and I would just like strain my neck you know I'm like wait I don't want to lose sight of these people and then and that's when I felt like really sad because it was like because yep. I was never around I would never see people that look like me so yeah when I, when I saw them I was like oh my god like it kind of like brought me back to myself and it made me feel very sad just not seeing yourself reflected mm -hmm. is it's impossible to deal with yeah 
No, totally. I'm like, I don't even know how I did it. I know. (laughs) You know, like, I I don't know. It really is a miracle. And you know what? And that's, that's, again, we go back to the suicide rate. So many of us don't uh, Uh because the burden is is too much to bear. Um, So, you know, I do joke about how did I possibly survive that? But so many of us don't make it that far. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal, and this is Out of the Fog, where critical perspectives on adoption are brought to the forefront. Before I started my research on adoption, I would have never thought that was such a strong link between adoption and suicide. Like, we, we imagine that adoptees have automatically a happy life. But is there actual research or statistics on this? So most of the research has been done on younger adoptees, but I've yet to see research and statistics done on adult adoptees and suicide, especially transracial adoptees. And I, I want to include, uh, well, adoptees who were fostered and y- their youth in that category as well. Um, so there's really a strong link. And, and I know that because... Every month, I hear about adoptees who have killed themselves. I believe it was in October 2014. In one month, there was at least three suicides. And one of them was an Ethiopian teenager. It really saddened me even more because I hadn't heard of uh, Ethiopian adoptees really speaking out about their experience in wider adoptee circles. So... I, well, myself and uh, Asalvich Evans, who is an Ethiopian adoptee, we decided to co-found Ethiopian Adoptees of the Diaspora together. So this is just a Facebook group, um, and the goal was to get uh, adoptees, Ethiopian adoptees together and just create a space uh, for them, and just so that they know that, uh, that we're here and we want to hear from them and... Uh, and the, and the, I guess the reason why we wanted to do that was because we'd been hearing so many um, sad and tragic stories about uh, Ethiopian adoptees and abuse, um, well, suicide as well. And um, the, the, the Faseha soul uh, was just the last straw. There's really a strong link between suicide and adoption, and that needs to be explored and researched and documented way more than it is. Is your experience common amongst adoptees? Do you think adoptees deal with their loss differently but won't express it? Well, just going by the comments and the letters that I received after the the Upworthy piece, Mm -hmm. um, I think that my experience is very common. That's I, I felt like I was alone my whole life um, until I met a bunch of uh, transracial adoptees who were all my age, kind of all in the in the first wave of transracial adoption. And <laughs> the mm-hmm. commonality of our experience was just shocking. Mm-hmm. I, I think that our there was some playbook that that we were all. Uh, all of our parents kind of went by. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So up until then, I thought 
my my experience was very was very abnormal, and I, I felt kind of alone. But then I started meeting other adoptees who shared my experience, and then after the Washington Post piece, I I felt even more confirmed just by, but also saddened by the number of people who wrote to me thanking me, but also saying they just couldn't thanking me for saying the things that they couldn't say, and hmm. that just makes me sad. Right, that that there's still so much work to do. If all of these like hundreds of people who wrote were saying yes, 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 I agree with you, but I still it's, it's not safe for me to share that. Sharon, like many adoptees, have connected online through closed Facebook groups. You know, we just really need safe places to be able to share our experience, and you know, with most people identifying not with adoptees, but with adoptive parents, adoptive agencies, it's very hard um, to find places where we can share our experience of, you know, growing up with the challenges that we've grown up with or questioning the institution. I just know that growing up, um, I would have felt more secure um, in myself and uh, as an adoptee had there been uh, more adoptee spaces, and also uh, more of an awareness about issues that adoptees face, uh, because there was really none of that. And uh, now as an adult, having connected to many different adoptee communities, I'm, I'm able to to not feel ashamed about how I feel, and I'm able to voice uh, my opinion and not be scared, which is something that I wouldn't have been able to do growing up. Um, and I, I just really buried my my feelings about my experience and about adoption. Having your identity questioned by yourself and by others, but at a really young age, like four mm-hmm. or six, um, and, not, and having these experiences and these feelings, but not having a vocabulary for them because nobody's teaching you that vocabulary. I love that I can teach my kid words for these things like microaggressions or, you know, mm. like systemic racism or anything like that. And she has the vocabulary for it. Whereas when I was growing up, I just had feelings. And of course that can be denied. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have a way of expressing what was happening to me, mm-hmm. which is another part of, you know, another layer of the pain. Not only are we missing our first families and we're looking for a connection, but then our our experience is being denied. Sharon explains how not having information about our births and first families can be disempowering. Our lives begin when we're old, when mm-hmm. we're already on this earth for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and somehow in that process, we lose the ownership of our story and what, mm-hmm. you know, what's happened to us. Obviously, we didn't just exist, you know, at four months old or at whatever age you were when we arrived here. We have a whole history mm-hmm. in our birth countries. and um, But because we lack that, I think it's easy to take ownership of, of, of our, our stories and ourselves. Mm-hmm. At the moment, adoption agencies and adoptive parents organizations control the narrative of adopted people. In the mainstream media, we rarely hear adult adoptees like Sharon speak about adoption. Instead, celebrities like Deborah Furness and her husband Hugh Jackman get the spotlight. This is an interview Deborah Lee had with ABC News Australia, and she explains why there's been a drop in adoptions since the 1970s. 
Yeah, and I want to talk to you about what those, what those measures actually are. But I know you've said before that you feel that in Australia there's some kind of cultural resistance or stigma about the idea. I mean, last year only 317 adopted. Why is that? How can you explain Adoptions that? Adoptions are down, I think, 75% since the 70s. Um, the, why it is, is because of the way we've done it. We, Bronwyn Bishop did the report in 2005 and said there was an anti-adoption culture. This was created because of the stolen generation, because of the forced adoptions uh, from the 50s, 60s, 70s of single mothers who had babies out of wedlock. So, and we did not supply support for all, for all the triad of people going through adoption. So it didn't work. So it broke down and there was shame and stigma. And when I started talking about I mean, there was literally, it, no one had talked about it for decades. <laughs> Since decades? Adoptees have literally been talking about it for decades. It's just that people haven't been listening. So we've been ignored. We hear from adoptive parents. We hear from adoption agencies. But why don't we hear from adoptees? Um, I think because adoption, as I've said before, is, is really complex and and. And it's a lot easier to just talk to the beneficiaries of a system than it is to talk to, um, I don't want to use the word victims, but uh, the, the people who didn't have choice in, in a system. Um, you know, we kind of like our rose-colored glasses, so it's easier to um, identify with adoptive parents, I think. Yeah. Also, um, people think we stay children forever. <laughs> so I think there's kind of a, a pervasive attitude that um, that when you're talking about an adoptee, you're talking about a child. We heard in this video the term anti-adoption culture. Sharon, what does that mean to you? To me? Yeah, to um, I think anti-adoption culture would be I don't know. I think I guess it's anybody who's questioning um, adoption, but I don't think that necessarily makes us anti-adoption. I think it just um, makes it easier to simplify a very complex issue. Mm. And so, why would they use terms like anti-adoption? Or I also heard stuff like angry adoptees. I don't know. Well, most people identify with adoptive agencies as adoptive um, parents, and it seems in this, it's something like an 11 or $14 billion industry, but it's more about finding children for homes. Um, so I think that anybody who would question that kind of arrangement would be easily labeled anti-adoption uh, because we would be standing in the way of maybe changing unethical practices. Parenthood sometimes triggers adoptees to think more about adoption. Well, we have our own children, we, we start realizing that a lot of the stuff that we've been told is just complete and utter BS. Um, like I would, there is nothing, I would never, when I was, um, when our, my daughter was a baby, there's nothing that would have made it okay for me to give her away. And so the, the idea that my original mother loved me very much or loved me so much that she was able to give me away. Like, you start, you start realizing that these, these things don't make sense. They don't make sense. Or that um, that it would just be a simple thing for a mother to relinquish her child. Um, and, uh, you know, many of our adoptive parents, yeah, maybe they don't have biological, biological children or 
whatever, but that just that there is that enormous, there can be that enormous connection when you have a child who is related to you or you've grown a child with your own body, um, that we start realizing, oh, wait, all these things that we're told, I'm not sure that they were true because now I've experienced, I've experienced parenthood from this side. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but absolutely, because then you can have more empathy on that experience. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I couldn't imagine, you know, there there had to have been something, some other um, things at play, right? It wasn't just that my mother loved me so much; it was probably that she was very poor, or that there was some sort of stigma, or something else, because um, there was something else going on. It couldn't just have been. You know, I don't want to be a mom. The discourse in the mainstream media is that adoption is difficult and expensive. But that's from the adopter's perspective. Why don't we hear terms like adoption prevention? Hmm. Uh, it's called family preservation usually, and um, I think people. I like. I think there's another issue, which is. Um, people are all about reproductive rights, but not necessarily about reproductive justice. And reproductive rights is this kind of like, I want to, I can do whatever I want to do. And reproductive justice is kind of the idea that I shouldn't let my wealth or my opportunity or my choices uh, become the oppressor of somebody's lack of choices or wealth or um, opportunity. Um, and I think that... Many in the first world, their desire to exercise their reproductive rights outweighs um, reproductive justice. That's it for today. You are listening to Out of the Fog on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Just a reminder that Out of the Fog is every first Friday of the month. And next month is National Adoption Month, so be sure to tune in. You can find us on Twitter at The Fog and also on Facebook at The Fog. We'd love to hear from you. Till November, said I'll be gone till November, I'll be gone till November. You tell my girl, you I'll be gone till November, I'll be gone till November, I'll be gone till November.